Computer, initialize Holosuite. to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 16, Bar Association. But before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, and I probably will say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome, we are great, we are a good time, and uh, I really think that you would enjoy what we have to say about this show that's 30 years old and um, still finding relevance today. In fact, tonight's episode is supremely relevant considering if you have any interest whatsoever in the entertainment industry and uh, the writer strike and all that that's going on. So, of course, we're going to end up talking about that tonight. Yep. Um, and so, then we would. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, as soon as it came up, I was so excited. Yeah. Um, but before we get into all that, as always, I'd like to do a little, you know, check-in, of course. So, uh, David, how was your week? Week's been fine. Um, work has been good last two days, but before that was kind of weird. I don't know. Work's been weird the last, like, month and a half. But um, what I've been doing, I think as I mentioned last week, is been watching one Christopher Nolan movie a night in preparation for Oppenheimer coming out next week. And um, tonight, I I started Inception as a part of watching it, but now we're recording, and then I'll try and finish it tonight. I may not finish it tonight, because by the time I actually get to it, it may be like 2 in the morning by the time I finish the movie. So <laughs> may wait till tomorrow to finish it, but... Ah, I love Inception. I love The Dark Knight. Um, so for the moment, for, for people know, wanting to keep up, Following was Christopher Nolan's first film. He like did it as on his own time, his own budget with friends. Um, it's a a film noir mis- murder mystery, or murder mystery kind of. Anyway, really great little indie film. And then he did Memento, which is a cult classic. You know, it's told backward. The The scenes are shown to you backward because the character can't... Uh, he doesn't remember what just happened. So the, the story is told to you backward because you don't know what happened. Just like he doesn't know what just happened. Uh, great kind of indie kind of film. Insomnia has Al Pacino and Robin Williams. It's a movie based on, I think, like a Dutch film or some European film. I can't remember what... Who, where it's from exactly. But anyway, um, which has uh, one of the Scars guards, the the Scars guard patriarch. I can't remember his name at the moment, but you know he's in Stellan. Stellan, yes, you know he's been in a lot. He's in Thor. He's the. I think he's a great actor. I, yeah, he's great. I, I like all the Scars guards, but I think he's my favorite. But yeah, but apparently he was in the original film that Al Pacino, like he was Al Pacino's character in the Christopher Nolan version of the film. And it's okay, but it's like the least Christopher Nolan-y film because Christopher Nolan loves playing with like you know storytelling. You know the the stories told out of order, unreliable narrators. Um, it's still a Christopher Nolan film, like you can see his influence on it. But it's like the least Christopher Nolan-y film. 
Um, and then you got Batman Begins. I that was like the first movie that I as a kid owned. Like it was my movie. Like you know, in the in the in all the movies in the house, that was mine, if I remember correctly. Um, at least one of the first ones. And then um, the Prestige is a movie that I think a lot of people really like, uh, especially when they yeah. get back to it. Uh, the whole idea of you know you have the the pledge, the turn, and the prestige. The prestige being the return. Uh, that's when the magic trick is final. You know, it, it, it they take something away, but then they bring it back. Um, great classic twisty storyline, and then the Dark Knight changed Hollywood. Probably one of the most uh, under well, I mean, it changed Hollywood. You know, there's so much about the Dark Knight that you could see how it affected movie making from then on. And then Inception is my favorite film of all time. Love watching it. I'm okay. super happy to watch it right now. I actually saw it in theaters a couple of years ago, right before Tenet came out. They were doing a, you know, come to the movie theater and watch your old, your old favorites. But, you know, Tenet was about to come out. And so I was like, oh, I can go see Inception in the movie theater. Uh, loved it. I saw that in the theater four times when it first came out back when I was in college. Loved it. So now I need to watch Interstellar. Dunkirk, I'm sorry, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and then Tenet, and then Thursday night I'll go see Oppen Oppenheimer, so I'll have seen 12 Christopher Nolan movies in 12 days, so that's me, I'm gonna go see so, the new Mission Impossible tomorrow as well. I was gonna ask you if you, you went to go here. and see it, if you went to go and see it, yeah, because I know yeah, it's uh, yeah. 12, today's the yes. 15th, so I was yes. wondering. Yeah, because you know my work schedule, I get off late. I want to go see it with my parents because I was watching all of the movies with them, and I okay. uh, figured Sunday afternoon is a great time to go see it. Um, I hear it's been doing really well, so I think it's gonna be great. Looking forward to it. So, well, I'm gonna have to put off my going to see it because I still haven't made it through all the movies, and now that <laughs> it's like in my head to do so, I I have to. Yeah. So, um, but on the Christopher Nolan point, um, the the Dunkirk movie is one that I haven't seen that I do want to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I heard a lot of great things about that film mm -hmm. as well. And um, a little bit of a tie into what we're going to be discussing later, Christopher Nolan did recently uh, make his announcement about um, in solidarity with the writer strike and with SAG-AFTRA, of course, that he was um, not going to be going to be developing any other uh, projects for the foreseeable future until this has all been um, resolved. So right. a lot of people standing in solidarity with um, uh, the strike yeah. from all over entertainment and um, uh, right. here, even in even in Trek, a lot of actors in, in projects past and present are um, are standing up and taking part in this. In fact, Armin Timmerman himself, Quark, our favorite bartender, also released <laughs> a statement talking about um, the, the strike and where he stands and, and in particular talking about like how actors um, can participate in uh, conventions and stuff. We are gearing right. up towards convention time. There's a, typically a pretty big convention for Star Trek in uh, Las Vegas here around this time of year. They kind of start in like early July and then kind of run through until about uh, early October. Right. And uh, with the strike and everything going on, there are some restrictions on how actors can participate. And so that was kind of what he was informing people about as to what um, what you can expect if you're going to these events. Um, it does look like they're 
abilities are going to be uh, limited. So if you're expected, if you're a person who habitually goes to some of these conventions, be prepared for changes. There's just right. there's going to be changes. So. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but other than that, I mean, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to to hear about. And you know, we've mentioned this before on this show when the strike was kind of first um, kicking started. off. And yeah. yeah, and you know, and this is kind of like a follow up to the strike that occurred for a hundred days in um, two thousand seven. And so, you know, this is kind of a continuation of that. And they've expanded things a bit for a couple of different reasons, um, which again, we're gonna get to talk about tonight so yeah um, we'll have to save it though because it ties yes. into the episode so we it's should so many things yeah. so there's a couple of things so just a brief summation for me for what i've been up to this week mainly working all right so uh <laughs> we're getting no, there <laughs> um, yeah no it is true i am i am mainly working there's some things gotcha. some projects at work that i'm excited gotcha. about some other things that i'm also doing um personally um the strongman training has been going pretty well uh Great. no no i, I had like a if you were following along there was a while there that I was like injury prone. And, uh, so that has, um, taken care of itself basically. I think it was just kind of more of a learning curve. I never really lifted that much before. So now that I'm kind of getting used to it, it's turning out better. Gotcha. Um, I did also, um, resume the ship build. So I yes. should be receiving my first packet of new stuff. Nice. Uh, I think it's supposed to. I have to check, check the tracking, but I think it'll be here at the end of this month. That's so, fantastic. I'm glad uh, that they were yeah. able to do that for you, because yeah, I, I am too. I was surprised, you know, yeah. and it was actually a pretty straightforward process because it really helped that I had saved all of my communications from Eagle Moss when they were the ones doing it, so they were able to find right. you know my you know account number and they it showed where I was in the build and everything else, and so right. yeah, it just was a simple matter of uh, you know just telling them I was interested and of course paying and then yeah um yeah so I'll be receiving my kit and whatever new stuff that it comes with and moving on with that gotcha so, um it's it's a little bit funny I uh I I like transformer figures as people can see behind me I have a new one that I got recently and I was messing with it today and I realized that part of it was misassembled there are two pieces that are supposed to be in the opposite place and I was mm. trying to like because, you know, Transformers, you can move the parts around to make it look like something else. And there's this part where a tab and a and a, and a slot are supposed to click together, and it's obvious. I was like, man, this, this slot and this tab are just far enough off that it looks like it should be the other way. And I was watching this video of a guy doing it, and I was like, yep, that's the problem. So now I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to correct for that. Like, you know, see if I can take take that those little pieces apart because fortunately it's in a pretty easy place i think or if i can get the pins out get the pins out swap the pieces put it back together i think it won't be too much a hassle but the problem is is i don't know how to do i've never done that before myself so it's like i don't want to mess it up and destroy it yeah i completely understand i I mean that's always my fear with this that was my fear when i was doing this kit in the first place was I mean, it looks so simple. I mean, there's parts of it that are undeniably complicated, but that was always my fear was that I would I would mess up something simple, and then right. when it was all complete, I would just be staring at it, and then there'd be no way to fix it because it was such an early part in the build that now I have put all these other things on top of it, and it would right. be like, oh, you're going to dismantle the whole thing to fix that 
right bit so um but yeah um i'm excited to resume that of course and um that's essentially it so one question i have for you is how far are you in the mission possible movies i think you had said you might be watching three last time yes i've watched one and two i have not i've still not watched three okay so Um, you still need to watch three okay gotcha like i I said two is the oddball once you get past two it's okay (laughs) you can go back to the good ones it takes a while like i've had to i started digging deep in my recycled tv viewing to kind of cleanse my brain of the nonsense i started watching uh farscape (laughs) again um which is one of those one-off sci-fi shows from the early 90s that very few people actually know about it's a surprisingly good show so if you if you want to watch like Again, it's a it's really different sci-fi. Don't think Star Trek. Don't think Star Wars. It is not the same, but it's really different. Um, and again, early '90s, so there's a lot of uh, special effects that you just gotta put up with. Right. But it's right. it's a good story, I think. Right. Ran for four seasons. You can find it on Amazon um, right now. Uh, I started watching The Expanse again because, of course, I did. Uh, I'm reading the books, of course, but I think right. I really just. I think I missed Charade, so I need to see her yeah. face again. And How far are you in book four? Last time we talked, you said you were on a certain chapter. I was like, okay, I, was, I think... I have not to... moved past that chapter. Oh. <laughs> chapter <laughs> chapter 21. I'm at the very beginning of chapter no. 21. I have okay. not moved past it. I just, I don't know. I no rush, like, no rush. I'm just Well, it's like, it I don't know what happened. It was like suddenly all the focus I had, um, all the focus I had for like one thing just went away. And, like, I'm now, like, all over the yeah. place with little things. I'm like, oh, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to do that. So don't worry. It, it'll circle back around, and I'll, I'll finish everything out. Um, gotcha. But, yeah, that's about – oh, yeah, and then Strange New Worlds, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. Really enjoying uh, this season so far. Um, and then there's a, a new Star Trek game called Resurgence that's out that I have also been kind of following along, half-playing – half watching other people play. Um, it's a surprisingly right. good game. It's set shortly after shortly after Deep Space Nine. It might be Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's probably like right in the middle of like at at the at the earliest it's probably season seven. But it could also be right. immediately following. I they don't really do a lot to help you really pinpoint the um, the timeline there. But it's right. everything I've, I've experienced of it so far. So many great callbacks to uh, the Next Generation, um, some early Deep right. Space Nine stuff, you know, and uh, even some original series stuff is in there. Uh, so it's it's just great to kind of it's and it's own it's it's not quite an open world concept, but it's more like a open decision. Like you get a list of decisions that you can make, which is very similar to Mass Effect, another game that I've been playing. Right. And then yeah. you, based upon the decisions that you, the choice that you made, it not only informs you as to how the mission's going to go, but also how you form relationships with the crew members. And you're you're playing as the right. first officer on the ship. So it helps you right. to make these relationships or not. And then depending on how right. strong your relationship is with certain characters, um, right. certain things you want them to do are also available or not, or easier or not. Right. You know, so... Right. Interesting way to do a game. I don't think I've ever really seen a game done quite this way before, but I, I've right. been enjoying that too. So again, a lot of things I'm all over the place with, but uh, yeah. But we're gotcha. not here to talk about all of those other things. 
Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. You f- 15, 15 minutes of us prattling on about other things. Um, <laughs> but we are going to talk about Bar Association. We're going to get right into it. But a uh, last little bit of non-Deep Space Nine stuff. Special shout out to Patrick Stewart, um, who had celebrated his birthday, July 13th. And he mm-hmm. is officially 83 years old. So Congratulations, Patrick Picard sir. himself, yeah. Professor X, all the things, you know, yeah, 83 yeah. years old. Um, yeah. Has had an active career for, what, 60 years, 70 years? Um, yeah, something like that. I think, he's, I think he's been, I think it's Was he a child years. actor? I think so. I think, well, I, I, I guess it, it would depend on, obviously you can't just count t- television, but he did a lot of like theater stuff too. So I think that, uh, yeah, he had some early theater things as a, as a child. Okay. Uh, and, and he, and he, if he counts it, I'm counting it. So yeah, he is 83 years old, still going strong, still doing things. There's still rumors about him coming back as Picard and doing some more stuff. Um, <laughs> but again, most of that is just mainly rumors. So we'll see. Yeah. But, um, all right, Bar Association. I've given the last two recaps. David, it is your turn. Okay, all right. So, again, guys, we're doing Bar Association this uh, time around, and it starts off with Quark, uh, Quark's brother Rom collapsing from an ear infection while he's working. Now, of course, he's not allowed, according to Quark and Ferengi culture, to take off work to go deal with personal things like an ear infection, even though he does have like bi-monthly checkout uh, ear ear inspections, which he has missed, he admits to. Um, he can't just take time off from work because his ear is hurting. Uh, so in, uh, Dr. Bashir uh, tells him, "Well, you know, if you if you can't have sick leave, maybe you should you know form a union with all of the other employees at Corks." Uh, now the problem is for Cork is that the um, Bajorans are having a month-long ritual cleansing is the the, the yes. rich the, what is it called the ritual of cleansing uh, something like that uh, yeah they're fasting what is it called of uh, um we'll get there we'll find yeah it it's it's the month of fasting basically it's like a yes. ramadan type situation it sounds like uh that's the one thing i thought of when i was listening to it um yeah that's how it's called the bajoran time of cleansing is they're right. not they don't really give it a real name or another. right i don't know if ramadan is quite the right comparison there but that's what came to mind when i heard it anyway uh lita one of the daba girls who i think we've met a time or two um is also one of those briefly yes she is there and when rom um well quark announces to all of his employees that because the bajorans are you know not coming to the station and they're not coming to the you know to the um to quarks you know to gamble and drink uh he has to cut everyone's salary by a third and when everyone complains, he says, well, it's either that or I have to, you know, fire half the staff. So you're welcome. <laughs> you know, you, st- you still have jobs. Um, Rom thinks that this is just Quark using the situation to his advantage. You know, I'm not going to pay anyone any better. Even when things get back to normal, I'm just going to keep it at, you know, a third of your wages are garnished because that's just, you accepted it then. I'm not going to change things. So he takes um, Dr. Bashir and O'Brien's suggestion of forming a union seriously. 
uh, O'Brien tells uh, Rom about his own great grandfather who was a union leader back in like the early 1900s and uh, led a pretty long strike that ended only a week after he was found dead after being shot 32 or 34 different times. Uh, so Rom is a little afraid uh, of the situation that he might you know, be hurt from it, but he goes ahead with it anyway. Now the problem for Rom and all the, the Ferengi in particular is that the Ferengi culture do not allow for unions and for strikes. And the Ferengi Commerce Authority can really threaten a lot of, you know, cultural ramifications to Ferengi in particular uh, if they form a union. But now that Rom has already suggested they form a union, they might as well go ahead and go all the way and go on strike. Uh, so they do. And, of course, that puts Quark in a bad situation, makes his, you know, bar even more abandoned and no one at all is coming in uh unfortunately <laughs> Worf, o'brien and bashir get into some sort of weird brawl which i frankly yes. think was a was a strange scene we'll talk about that but anyway yes, uh, they get will. into a they get into a, a little brawl over the issue for whatever reason and so cisco gets mad crossing the picket line basically yeah I, we'll, we'll talk about more about that because they don't do a good yeah. job of explaining what all happened they just do it all off screen but anyway cisco threatens quark by saying, look, you get, you know, to run your bar without paying rent or having to pay for, you know, utilities or, or anything. Basically, you're running your bar for really no there, – there's no nothing you have to pay to run your bar. You're, you get all the benefits but none of the, the downsides. You know, the, the Federation being a society that doesn't really have to worry about money doesn't force Quark to pay them for the privilege of his of his bar. Um so Quark is getting ever more pressure to turn his, you know, give his employees what they want, give them their demands. Uh, and Rom even starts quoting uh, Karl Marx, you know, work, workers of the world unite when uh, Quark tries to bribe him personally. You know, Rom, I'll bribe you individually if you will get everyone to start working again. Now, unfortunately for poor Quark, liquidator Brunt, the agent from the Ferengi Commerce Authority we've seen in a previous episode, he arrives and he promises Quark he's going to help put a stop to the strike. He's going to tell the union's uh, members all the various things they'll suffer if they don't go ahead and stop the strike. Uh, they'll be monetarily ruined. All of their family members will be fined. They'll be you know, har harassed from Ferengi culture for the rest of their lives. And so at least one of his employees or one of Rom's co-workers and union co-workers like kind of caves, but he's just a coward. Um, and so they they just recommit to the strike. So Liquidator Brunt, in order to get a message across that this is what we'll do to you if you don't stop, he actually beats up Quark. He gets his two minions to beat up Quark as a... Uh, threat for what they'll do if they don't get in line. So, Quark, as you can imagine, is very upset with Rom, and so he agrees with Rom to end the strike quietly. They will, Rom will disband the union, but Quark will give them everything they want under the table. They'll they'll work the books so it, no one knows the difference. So while everything on the outside looks like it's gone back to normal. Quark will uh, honor those agreements, um, but it turns out that Rom, after they 
go back to normal, if you will, decides to quit the bar and actually join uh, the, I believe it's, is it the Federation or the, or the Bajorans as he a... Joins, he joins the station uh, repair labor force. He's working right. under Chief O'Brien. Yeah, so he is no longer working directly for for Quark. He is now his own man. He has his own money. He'll pay for his own way. He does promise to still help his brother out, but he is no longer going to work directly for Quark. He's not going to just wait around for Quark to die and give him the bar. He's going to be his own man. Uh, and meanwhile, the whole time, Worf decides to take his uh, living quarters from off Deep Space Nine and move in permanently at Cisco's uh, agreement into the starship Defiant. So his, he is now living on the Defiant with his own, you know, he has a whole starship to himself for privacy. Uh, and uh, Dax kind of helps him out, or at least teases him a bit for his changes. So. Still, con- still continuing her playful game of being aloof but interested exactly <laughs> exactly no one's no one's uh we all see through it but yeah anyway. we're we're smelling what she's stepping in <laughs> it's my favorite way to describe that these days yeah um but yeah that's a nice summation there essentially yeah. what's going thank on you wikipedia for your help as i summarized it <laughs> throwing little tidbits here and there but yeah exactly. uh yeah that's essentially it um I want to start with Worf and Jadzia, since we just kind of finished up anyway. there. Okay. Yeah. We see them once again. They're coming back from having practice with the uh, Batleth versus Mechleth. And in right. this scene, we see that um, Worf is the one with the Batleth and Jadzia has the Mechleth. We, they switch places here. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, commenting on her prowess and so forth. And, He's complimenting her and everything else. And then this leads to the discovery of the um, thief uh, stealing from Worf's quarters. Right. And he steals, of all things, the tooth sharpener that Worf <laughs> bought from Nog yes. before Nog went off to the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I love that when he goes and brings the – that alien's called the Dubtarian, by the way um, – when he brings him to Odo to be um, arrested – Odo's, he's like, this never happened on the Enterprise, and Odo's like, oh, Let really? me count the ways. <laughs> yes, and the smug look on his face. He's like, almost like, I've been waiting for this since you got here. He does pull up that <laughs> yeah. list of, it, of, of, yeah. of incidents very quickly. <laughs> Mighty quick. Like, he's just had that ready on his desk, waiting for the moment for Worf to walk in with some criticisms. Uh And then, um, yeah, he calls out the incident where Picard and Ensign Rowe and Guinan and Miles' wife Keiko were turned into children. In the episode Rascals, that's where the the Ferengi tried to hijack the Enterprise. He called out that one, and then um, I forget the other one that he calls out. I forget too. I just remember, yeah, when they were when he was when Odo was saying them, I was like yeah. remembering kind of the episodes as he was saying. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right, Worf. What do you got to say about yeah. that? Uh huh. <laughs> oh, uh, he says uh, Birmingham Rasmussen. That's when that guy showed up, um, pretending to be from the 26th century, but he was really from the 22nd century, and he was stealing little items, tricorders, hypersprays, whatever, and then he had had an intention of stealing data to bring him back and to, you know, 
reverse engineer him or whatever. Yeah. But that didn't work, and they trapped him in the 24th century, so. Right. Um, but yeah, that was the yeah. other incident. I thought those are interesting incidences to reference when there were so many other, like, security breaches and stuff on the Enterprise that he could have also <laughs> brought up, which, you know, because uh, those yeah. are, like, two extraordinary circumstances. Like, what are you supposed to do against a time traveler and uh, these Ferengi when you're senior, half of your senior staff or whatever is right childlike? So I would certainly but, agree with Worf that petty incidents didn't probably occur, if at all, you know, because that's right. a, it's, a, it's a starship. So I understand his being, you know, oh, it's a petty thief. But the serious nature of the in, of the incursions that did happen, <laughs> hey, uh, were Worf, pretty serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Worf, they uh, weren't, don't, yeah. Don't critique Odo too quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. So, I mean, Odo has a great point about it. he's like, you know, if this stuff can happen on the Federation flagship. I mean, you got to give me, cut me some slack here on this open port like Deep Space Nine. I mean, it's yeah. a great point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's interesting that they kind of set Worf and Odo up as being slightly antagonistic with one another, uh, yeah. mainly because they, they're so alike. And maybe that's why they do it, because they do seem to share a lot of the same kind of like mannerisms and view on just other people and in general. But, right. um, I would like to see them actually like work together and show a better appreciation for one another and their particular skill set. And maybe that's just asking too much considering one, just how alike they are. And two, the jobs that they have, like Worf is transitioning out of security. Whereas Odo has, that's his wheelhouse. That's all he's done. So, right. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still liked it. I still, I like the little comedic take there. And of course, I mean, it's just, it's nice to see, Odo kind of relishing his position a bit, you know, because I mean, he always does seem so gruff and whatever, but it's like, if there's one thing that man knows, it's security. You're not yeah. going to call him on it. You're not going right. to call him on it. So yeah. it was great. You had that one time a couple episodes ago when he was pining after Kira, but that was a one time Which... incident. Yeah, and that's yeah. again, that's one of those things that, you know, like as I said, you know, then, you know, I I didn't like the fact that they made it to where it weakened him, it made him lesser. Right. You know, there's other ways they could have written that that wouldn't have diminished him in the profession that he has singularly excelled at in all other aspects. But right. yeah, all of a sudden, this emotional whatever causes him to lose perspective. I didn't like that. But um, right. yeah, otherwise, he's fine. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, as you know, uh, Dax, once again, paired up with Worf. Showing that uh, that chemistry there, and then here we are at the end of the episode, and you know she's talking about she was going to bring him a, a plant, but instead she brought him Klingon opera, you know, yeah. which I believe this may be the f uh, would this be the first time that we've seen a mention of Worf liking Klingon opera? I know that they. I don't did know about Worf, but we know we've talked about you know Dax. We know that she likes it, but I don't know how much he likes it. I never really. I don't think we've really heard how much he cares for it. Yeah. If at all. I mean, I, I know that there was an episode in The Next Generation where Worf sings, however briefly. Um, but whether or not that was a Klingon opera he was singing, we don't know. He's only um, ever done, like, war chants that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the first time we see a mention of something other than, yeah, war songs or whatever that he is um, that he's enjoying. Right. Um, and this is also following up from the episode with Kern and the loss of Kern and Jadzia's kind of role in that as well. So yeah, 
the the pairing of the two of them seems to be working, seems to be growing, uh, both on the the writers and obviously the actors and so forth. So we're seeing those beginning stages here. Um, Kira is essentially wholly absent from this episode. I guess maybe they were giving her a break. Anybody would need a break after spending that much time with uh, Gold Dukat, so I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna blame her. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, great. Again, I just I just like that that whole development of all those scenes between them and Odo and so forth. And right. um, now, of course, we have to turn our attention to. And that, so I guess that would effect, effectively be the B plot: Worf moving to the Defiance. Yeah, and being on the on the defiant all by himself. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, are you surprised by that at all? Do you think that that's a good move for him, or should he just try to stick it out and be on the station like everybody else? That's a good question. I do feel it is strange. I mean, if he's the one who's kind of in charge of the defiant in a sense, like if Cisco's in charge of the station and the defiant in a general sense, but Worf is. You know, he's the one who's in charge of the Defiant, like, caring for it, taking it out, doing missions with it. Actually kind of makes sense on a certain level, actually. So I'm not opposed to it. Um, I think the, the the show being like, he's like, there's something strange about the station. I feel like that's a little much. Like, yeah. let's, just, let's just, instead of, like, making it mystical or I have a bad feeling about this type thing, like, just make it, like... I've determined I've gone to Cisco and I determined that um, I believe I'd be better situated in the Defiant. I don't know. Maybe that's not a very emotional, therefore not very compelling. It's yeah. just kind of bland reason. It's let me put it this I, way. I I it think it makes sense, but at the same time, I don't know if they did the best job of executing like the yeah. like telling us why he's doing it. But anyway, yeah, I think that it was an attempt to make it seem like Worf is not just accustomed to living on a starship, but that to a certain degree, he misses being on the Enterprise. He's used to being, you know, kind of, yeah, like essentially adrift in space. He's used to being, again, on an actual ship, not a station. Things are more controlled there. There's even kind of like, this is a bit of a callback to an earlier episode where, um, you know, the episode we were talking about with... um, with uh, Odo and his the whole love triangle, Odo, Kira, Shakar, and Worf stops by the security office, and he's talking about how he's having he's finding difficulty establishing a routine. Right. People who drop by and you know all that kind of stuff. This is kind of a callback to that because one of the things he's looking for is added privacy and added security. And right. if there's one thing that you have on the starship that you can't really get on the station, right. is you can you can lock it down completely. Right. You can lock the, the, the ship down completely. Right. And he would be the only person on the Defiant. Right. I think that that is kind of like, in my head I was thinking of like funny incidences. Like, let's say that everybody just kind of gets accustomed to, unless there's a war on or whatever, right? No one's on the Defiant but Warp. Right. So could you imagine he's like jogging through the Defiant yeah. in like workout clothes yeah, or whatever, right? And then right. someone comes on and they round a corner and they run into this big sweaty Klingon <laughs> who's <laughs> been doing laps through the ship, right? And it's yeah. like, he's like, oh, I, I didn't know anybody was going to be on here today, right? Yeah. Or just stuff like that. Or he's yeah. like, 
you know, I, we know that he wouldn't, but let's say that he just like totally went the human route and was like, you know, sitting on the bridge in his pajamas using the giant screen to watch his favorite movie or whatever. <laughs> and, and here walks, you know, here walk, in walks Cisco, ready to, you know, there's a last yeah. minute, whatever. They got to make a trip to the Badlands or something, right? And right. here comes the whole command staff, and here's Worf just, you know, PJs, open robe, <laughs> lounged out on the captain's chair. Bachelor pad like, to the max. <laughs> right, you know, open open pizza boxes and garbage all around him and everything. He's got to wipe the grease off the consoles real quick. You know? <laughs> I, I just, those are things I thought about. I, like, I know it would never happen. Worf was far too rigid for no. that. I think that's also the point they were making. But yeah. those were the thoughts in my head. Because like, I... I imagine myself, like, I totally would. Like, this is my space, 100%. No one, right. no, and, and as long as it doesn't interfere with my duties, no one's going to bother me. Right. Absolutely. How many trips do you think Worf made from the bridge to engineering in his boxers? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. just just for the the freedom of it. It would it could only work for a Klingon, though, or a person of another species. No human would get that kind of permission and special dispensation to live on the ship all alone. Totally right. taking advantage. Absolutely taking advantage. What do yeah. you, what, no one's going to see me? Um, I'm not getting dressed at all. I'm walking from, <laughs> I'm walking from the mess hall to main engineering to yeah. the bridge and back again. And I'm not putting on a thing, man. Right. I'm free and clear on the ship. Absolutely. There's no way that it doesn't happen. <laughs> You don't care no about the draft, way. do you? No, no draft hey, problems. <laughs> there's no draft. the The ship is sealed, and I control the thermostat. I, there is no oh no, no AC freedom. blowing, no AC hey, blowing for you. I will uh, I will have the optimal temperature and breeze throughout the ship. <laughs> hey, so I will. Future technology can do a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> it really, yes, exactly. You could just imagine that the perfect conditions. You would feel so great. Yeah. Total fee, Total freedom clean air and just yeah just walk around just enjoy yourself right, right. someone's someone's done it someone's done it. yeah absolutely <sighs> well we haven't so got even to the yeah that's the b plot we got to the a plot now yeah <laughs> i mean i'm just thinking of all the all the fun possibilities that that, the, that you could have with that i mean whatever um but yeah a plot we get to see the return of brunt FCA liquidator Brunt played expertly yes. by Jeffrey Combs, one of our favorite recurring um, cast members here. Jeffrey yeah. Combs, who the man of a thousand faces, he's been in pretty much every iteration of Star Trek except for right. the original series. Oh, the original series and the newer Treks like Discovery right. and Strange New Worlds. He hasn't right. shown up in those yet, but he he is in Lower Decks. He obviously is on Deep Space Nine. He was on Voyager. Was he on Next Generation? I'm seeing he was not. He started okay. with these incarnations on Deep Space Nine, but he's apparently uh, been on, well, yeah, he's... Voyager, Enterprise, and even, I guess, Reprise, yeah. something on Lower Decks. So Yes. Yeah. So he's been on pretty much everything else. So uh, uh, he's, he's Trek royalty, to be sure. And um, we get to see an interesting dynamic in the Quark-Rom relationship. Uh, the growing of these two individuals beyond their family dynamic, which I think was really great to see. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Rom points it out, you know, that Quark thinks that Rom is dumb. And we all kind of think Rom is dumb. The way he talks, his mannerisms, all of it, it kind of makes you think that he is slow, right? That there's 
a challenge to him. Right. But even he points out, he's like, yeah, I'm not nearly as dumb as you think I am, and you're not as smart as you think you are. Right. I love that reversal there. And it's yeah. always surprising when we see Rom kind of stand up to Quirk because it does show um, a sharpness, a, a clarity that we don't associate with him. Right. And this right. episode was like all of that, 100%, all of that. Right. And it's getting to see him in a new light. And, uh, and watching other people see him in a new light, we see right. Lita's uh, attention and you know, care about him change right. through the course of this episode. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Rom and Quark, interesting family uh, dynamic here. Yeah. Uh, where would you like to start with those two? Uh, we should, I guess Quark is kind of secondary here. This really is a Rom episode, um, which is interesting because most of the, our main cast is usually the focus of an episode, but Rom as one of our secondary characters, is really the focus. Um, we have some fun jokes, and made at his expense. You know, he comes back from being treated for his ear infection. And uh, Lita asks him, I, he says something about he's the one who's doing his own Umox, um, which. Which is and, the first reference to the fact that Umox are done for sexual gratification. I mean, we've, we've that known we, that the whole time, we, I think. Yeah, but. it's kind of implied. <laughs> it's, it's kind of implied, but this is the first time that it's kind of been. That it's been so on the nose. Yeah. And then she, he's, I forget exactly what she says. Like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And he, she, he's like, you going to do something about it? And like, like yeah. leans toward Sad her. enough to do something about it? Like, yeah. Like, right there in the <laughs> right middle of the bar? Like, exactly. So later when, um, when she's like happy about his leadership in the, the union, he like walks her back to her quarters. Again, she's dating Bashir. I don't think I mentioned that yet. She's been yeah. regularly seeing Bashir apparently. And um, he walks her back to her quarters, and she, like, kind of grabs him by his ears and kisses his forehead. Uh, and that's when Cork comes behind him. But he is all uh, all aglow after that. Um, she kissed me. <laughs> I can't believe it. She kissed me. She kissed yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you really feel for the poor guy because you're like, yeah, I, I – for a second there, you're, you're like, oh, man, is she going to give up Bashir for – I mean, not really, you know, but, you know, for a second there, you're like, I can imagine Rom is thinking something. Um, but, yes, Rom has been a, a great little character because it's a, it's through him and Quark we see the most about the Ferengi. We saw them return to the Ferengi homeworld uh, in the same episode where we met Brunt about, you know, her their mother was, you know, doing profit. You know, she's not she's wearing clothes of all things, you know. Um, they really don't like women wearing clothes and doing things. Um, and then to see them here, the the Frangi Trade Authority, I forget their name at the moment, but they're Frangie all... Commerce Association. There you go. They're all like, yeah, we don't like unions. Um, when I when this episode was first starting, I, I was thinking, I thought that didn't make sense. I was like, well, if they like the idea of profit, and basically it's kind of a, you know every man for himself kind of like, like like the scene where again when they were on the Frankie homeworld and Quark went to go like talk to some bureaucrat and there was some like secretary who had like a jar and he had to feed the guy you know plat uh, latinum in order for him to just get like information so part of me thought mm -hmm. that unions were maybe actually a huge thing in Frankie society they're they got you know litigation out the wazoo all the time you know they're they're constantly arguing over you know contracts, but it actually does also make sense. I mean, I think that that would be a, that would make sense for Ferengi culture, but it also makes sense that 
No, the guys in charge of whatever business they have, they monopolize it to the point of like, if you work for them, it's cutthroat. Like you get paid nothing. You get paid nothing because you have no leverage. You take what you can get. And part of Ferengi society is about, you know, getting out from under the heel of, you know, someone by starting your own lucrative right. opportunities. That you, that you want to, you don't want to end the exploitation. You want to be at a point where you can take advantage of it. Exactly, yourself. exactly. So and it's, and that's Rom, why they frown upon unions because the union would stop everybody from being able to do that. It's the most kind of predatory capitalistic system that could be imagined, you know? Right. Um, we often use the Ferengi as kind of a parallel for our own culture, you know, and this is kind of, you know, capitalism run amok here with the, with the Ferengi and the way that they treat people and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, I would, I would say, well, when people critique capitalism, I would say this is more of an example of um, crony capitalism where the government is putting its thumb on the scales. Like there's an argument for capitalism in the general sense of like, let everyone trade with whom they will. Well, there are times when, like, you don't want to trade children for for sexual favors. That that's that's capitalism at its worst, or the drug trade, or you know, you know, I'm gonna hire an assassin. Like that's still capitalism. So there've got to be limits to capitalism. But then there's the government actively like standing up on behalf of employers and saying you can't unionize. Like, no, we in American culture allow unions. There was a whole history yeah. behind that. Um, which yeah, again, we'll talk the, about that yeah. more, but this is definitely the, the, the Ferengi government is all about, um, doing everything in its power to help the businesses, right. not the people. And yeah. they don't care that the people are being exploited so long as it's turning to profit. And right. instead of saying that the business is doing wrong by not treating its employees fairly, it's saying you as employees are dumb because right. you haven't figured out a way to be to on that level of exploiting other people and doing right. your own business and so forth. That's how the Ferengi yes. culture is set up. So it's yeah, it's a very crazy way of viewing capitalism. And um, yeah, right. you know, certainly um, not just with the, the Writers Guild strike, but in other things too. Like you said, you know, we have a history of unions in our country as well. Um, and that's that's kind of the whole point. We're not, it's not about people, you know, not wanting to work, which clearly all of them do, but they just want to be able to also, you know, live and take care of themselves. You shouldn't have to pass out like Rom did right. to get medical treatment. And then, you know, the resulting of the medical treatment was, Workers are going to dock his dock his pay, and we yeah. find out that Rom had a life threatening condition for Ferengi. As as Julian yeah. says, he could have died for something like that two clearly days he could later. Treat, yeah, right. Something that he could clearly have treated in half an hour. That's what right. Julian says. He's like, you couldn't find half an hour to come right. and see me. Right. You could have died. Yeah. And so it's just like, at what point do we say that? That, that it's too much, that the way that the business model they're using, that they're currently using is too much and it oversteps. Obviously, in this episode, this is an extreme example, but it's an effective one. The Ferengi stipulation in the contract is he can't even be dismissed from the work floor unless his boss um, allows it. You know, he can't right. leave. Right. So, yeah, that and, and if you notice at the positioning of Quark's bar... And the promenade itself, sickbay is directly across from the bar. 
So he could have just walked right over, gotten yeah. treatment, and come back. You wouldn't let your own brother off the floor for 30 minutes to walk yeah. across the hall and get treatment? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Crazy. Yeah, something's going on there. Yeah, again, the Frankies are, are, are a very extreme example here. and We're, we're right. getting this from, from Quark and Rom. But then yeah. we also get to see the swift reaction to um, the the unionization, right? Right. And at first, it's, it seems like it's contained to the station. But then, of course, Liquidator Brunt shows up, and he's yeah. here to end the strike. He says at first, yes, he's here to help Quark. But in reality, he is there to uphold Ferengi law and tradition. Right. And that's why he brought the Nausicans, because it's time to crack some skulls. Right. 10,000 years of tradition, according to what Quark 10, says. 10,000 years. Could you imagine yeah. 10,000 years of exploited history? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it really does. I mean, I, I really do wonder. We haven't really seen any examples yet. Of, like, how does taxing work in Ferengi culture? Like, other than holding up tradition and like this is how our society is is structured, this is the hierarchy. We don't want to you know tilt the we don't want to rock the boat uh, and and damage our society because it benefits us as it currently stands. Like, how exactly is Quark related to like how does his business relate to the authority, the the rank, the trade authority? So- uh, it's one of those issues that you know Commerce. a gray area that um, is hard to wrap our head around because of the fact that we know that so many different worlds and cultures exist within Star Trek, right? But the way that you can help to this, I think, helps to make any sense is to realize that there, the society that he's trying to function in and be a productive member of is Ferengi society, not right. anyone else's. So right. all of the bookkeeping, the money-making, the licensing, all those things that he's always talking about having to hold on to and do, that right. comes from wanting to be a part of that particular society. Right. It's made very evident in this episode that he doesn't need to be a part of Ferengi culture in right. order to be a successful bartender. Right. The Federation, are, they're his landlords. They don't charge him for power consumption. They don't charge him for space. They don't charge him for maintenance. They don't charge him for anything. He just has this space where they, where he can sell whatever he wants within reason, of course, nothing illegal. But yeah, he can he can sell and do whatever he wants, and he there's no overhead. So whatever profit he makes, in theory, he could keep for himself. Whatever it is that the Ferengi Commerce Authority is labeling on him for taxes, levies, subsidies, whatever it is, he is willingly paying. Right. Because if he just decided to opt out of that society, it's not like the Ferengi can come in there and take away his bar. The bar doesn't belong to them either. It's federations. Right. So it's all about the status of being in that culture that he wants. That's why he pays what he does. That's why they can tax him, and that's why they can influence his decisions the way that uh, they do. Okay. So, and it's and they they kind of make it into a it's a cultural thing to want to be a part of Ferengi society. They all want to do it. Even in this episode, we see it all together. Ferengi, when when Rom mentions the union, they're like disgusted by even the word. Can't right. even say it because it's so ingrained in them that it's an awful, awful idea. Right, and it's just like, exactly. but you live on a station surrounded by people who are of so many different backgrounds. 
Right. And they're all fine. They're all doing quite well. You could right. do the same. Right. But they would rather find ways to exploit all of them and report back to Ferengi culture that they've exploited them right. than break away and do their yeah. own thing. And this reminds me, too, there was the uh, Rom says to the Ferengi who are afraid of the Union, especially when they're being threatened by Brunt, um, he says, look, they don't have any real the reason we shouldn't be worried about them is because if if we're just lowly employees at a bar, they don't care about us. They don't think very highly yeah. of us. We're, we don't. They don't think we even have much. We're not going to rise up anywhere. Yeah. Um, they're more about just keeping us in place. And so this really is our one opportunity to make change. Um, yeah. Because yeah, because because Brunt confronts the group, and he says, "If you don't put an end to this strike and get back to work." Your accounts will be seized, and you will right. be made destitute. And right. There, and then when they come back to Rom and tell him all of this, Rom's like, "If your accounts on Ferenginar were worth anything at all, That's you wouldn't it. be a waiter anyway." Right here in in Bajoran space. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And and it's just like we have to also remember, as we've seen from our earlier episodes, there's also a family component, like. Quark's bar doesn't just support Quark, but it supports Quark, Rom, Nog, Moogie. You know, all of that, the whole family is tied in to this business. Now, Moogie's off obviously doing her own thing, but again, right. the react the the actions of these individuals does also reflect on their family. Worf, not Worf, but Quark was facing a lot of scrutiny because of what Ishka was doing back on Ferenginar. And he could have lost the bar. He could have lost everything if he didn't get her under control or at least make it appear like right. he had her under control, which seems to be a recurring theme for Quark. It's it's not, I want you to do, I, I totally want you to do the right thing or the right thing or the, the lawful thing of, you know, he wanted Ishka to give up all of her profit. He wanted Rom to stop with the unions. He wants them to, at least officially, do away with those things. Right. So that no one's watching him anymore. Right. So I, I don't know if I like that about him or not. He's just like, I, I don't, it's almost like he's saying, yeah, I don't really care what you do. Just make it to where the FCA is not watching me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing about this that I really enjoyed was the way that Rom through, uh, Quark's words back in his face a couple of times. You know, when the very beginning, when when Quark announces that they're going to have to cut the the pay of all the right. waiters and stuff, uh -huh. right? Uh, you know, Rom's badgering him about it. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I want you to reconsider and so forth. And he's like, but brother, but brother. And Quark's like, don't brother me. When right. we're in this bar, we're not brothers. That's we are right. employer and employee. And if you want to keep your job, you get back to work. And then right. later on, he's like, I wish I was an only child, you know? Both of these things are then parroted back to him by Rom right. later in the episode. When right. the FC, when Brunt shows up with the Nostigans and starts to threaten him. And Quark's like, you gotta do this. We're brothers. I can't believe you would do this. I'm your brother. He's like, we're not brothers. We're concerning the business... Right. We're employer and employee. And right. then when um, when they beat him up, when they beat up Quark, and he says, 
I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to protect you. And he's like, well, no, that's before he gets beat up. He's like, I've been trying to help you. I've been trying to protect you. I'm, I'm protect you from yourself. And he's right. like, well, if they take me out, then you'll finally get your wish of being an only child. Right. It's like both of those seem to cut Quark particularly deeply, most likely <laughs> because he recognized those were his words. Yeah. That were being thrown back in his face like that. Right. So, um, again, showing that Rom's got a bit more of a backbone than we give him credit for, for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, the real question will be, now that Rom is kind of going his own way, how is Quark going to be affected by that? Because he's been relying on Rom for a lot. Everything from fixing the replicators in the hollow suites mm-hmm. to locking up the bar when they go on trips. Um, yeah. Is he, I mean, Rom says he'll still come help out with those things, but um, how much is Quark going to realize that he's <laughs> lost a valuable asset? <laughs> right. And I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, Quark is going to, not Quark, but Rom is going to have other duties, other responsibilities, and he's not going to be able to just drop whatever he's doing just to go and service the, the bar. Right. Um, I'm sure that he'll give it priority, but again, he's he's establishing his own life now. He's moving out from underneath um, Quark. He's recognizing right. that, you know, he deserves to have his own life, his own path, which is something that we heard Nog say when he gave his impassioned speech to Cisco about why he wanted to join Starfleet, you know? Right. He's like, my, my dad is a technical genius. He can fix anything, but he only lives for the slim hope that he can someday somehow inherit my uncle's bar. Right. He doesn't have a life of his own, and I right. don't want that for myself. Right. So he went off, and I guess could we say that perhaps Rom was – inspired by that a little bit to now kind of take Seems charge like it. and yeah. you know kind of get his own life as well he's i mean i'm starfleet but he is you know doing something different i imagine maybe part of it for him i mean you know you're a, a sing, you're a father you could tell me what you think but i imagine it's part of it. it's like he has a kid to take care of he has to do what he has to do to take care of his kid and now that his kid is no longer there whether or not rom is inspired by nog as much as nog is just no longer a you know dependent He's no longer a liability in that sense, and therefore he can make his own decisions more freely now. Um, probably both. I'd say it's some of both of those things. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, uh, you know, thinking about it, again, from the perspective of Ferengi culture and how uh, Nog would have been dependent upon Rom to earn money for them to exist within that particular society. Right. But once Nog was accepted into Starfleet, for as long as he remains in Starfleet, he won't have those worries. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Picard doesn't pay for anything on the Enterprise. Right. You know? right. Um, so, yeah. So, I could see that, how suddenly no longer having to provide uh, monetarily for his son kind of frees him up to the realization that he can um, do more with his money and his time. Right. But then also the realization, like he says at the end, you know, I, I realized that the only thing I could really hope for was for you to die so I could have the bar, but I don't want you to die. Right. Yeah, so exactly. he's got to find, right, he's got to find a path for himself that will allow him to live a fulfilling life without that being on his mind anymore. Right. And yeah, now he gets yeah. to go and solve problems and work with his hands and be the engineering genius. And that, pioneer uh, Frankie into cult into areas into cultures into places they've never been. So yeah, right. And I mean, Rom we, is an inspiring the, figure. Is, 
Right. And this is not the first time that we've seen Ferengi deviate from that path. It's just exceedingly rare. Right. Um, let's not forget the scientist who came aboard on the Enterprise and developed shielding, yep. you know. Yep. Um, and that was, you know, thanks to Dr. Crusher, that was we got to see that. Right. Um, but yeah, my, you know, this my is, understanding is that scientist still. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of, of how do I explain his behavior. But like, wasn't he still like go angling for a profit motive? Like, I can still make profit off of the scientific whatever. Or am I just I putting think, that on the character? No, I think that it was. I remember him saying something along those lines, but it was more the profit of name recognition. That this would be his software, his development that would then be employed across countless number of ships. Right. And it would always be tied to his name. He would always have this kind of branding that no one could take from him. That that was kind of how that was presented. Gotcha. Um, and I really, I really liked that. It was like... Yeah. yeah. And that character died. Spoilers, if I remember correctly. He, got, yeah. he was killed as a part of the, the bad character taking advantage of the situation. Yes. He like tried to alien. prove, yeah. He tried to yeah. prove that his math was correct, but right. they, but the bad alien had sabotaged the shuttle that they used, and he ended up dying. Right. But exactly. But then Beverly later proves that the science was correct. That's right. So she, he ultimately got what he wanted. Unfortunately, he didn't live to see it, to see it or to yeah. reap the fruits of it. But yeah, right. Um, right. So now let's turn our attention to. The fight. The fight that was not a fight. Worf, Bashir, O'Brien. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I get a, my... To me, it was a classic representation of crossing a picket line. That's that's what that was all about. Who's going to cross and go into into Quark's... To patron Quark's... To give it its patronage and, and over the advising of the, the picket line. Yeah, my only problem with all that is that it was all done off screen and too short to really make any. They didn't give that that storyline enough effort to make it worth the hassle. I I mean, it brought in Cisco to yell at the mm-hmm. at his officers for getting into a bar fight, and of course, Cisco yelling is always a treat because he's always so serious and upset and like, "How dare you let me down?" kind of thing. <laughs> and but, it, um, it also gave us a reason for Cisco to then have to confront Quark. Because that's the true. Only time that that's probably heard, what it was. Yeah, because the only time we'd heard Cisco even being aware of any of this was when Quark tried to have Odo arrest the Strikers, and right. Odo was like, "Nah, Cisco said they can stay." Right. And that's the, and that was the only mention of Cisco. Let alone we hadn't even right. seen Cisco the whole episode. And so that, that was the yeah. you know yeah. And then because the senior officers are now fighting about the situation, that's why Cisco now has to be involved, and he. Carl's Quark's bill do. Yeah, and... So... Well, well for, for me, what was so frustrating is that we don't understand exactly why Worf went in there in the first place. I mean, We don't like know he, why he went in there. Yeah, I felt like he has a love for Quark and Quark's business that he, like, I have to go have my daily, nightly beer or whatever. You know, he's not like he has to go do it. He just goes into the upper entrance. It's the lower entrance that they're, uh, you know, have the picket lines at, but... You know, Odo says, as long as they're letting people into your business from the upstairs location, then we're not going to make a fuss about it. So Worf walks in, Bashir and, and, o- and O'Brien are watching and kind of betting with each other who would go in, who wouldn't. And when Worf goes in, they chase after him to like tell him not to. And the next we see them, they're in the, the cell. Yeah. 
arguing about what happened, and I and we I mean, still don't we still don't know what happened. We just well, know that they kind of got into an argument. Yeah, uh, and then someone some shoved Worf, and Worf and, shoved O'Brien, and O'Brien and bumped then, into Bashir, and Bashir got bumped on his head. And for yeah. me, it was like. I don't know exactly why all of them were so passionate about this issue at the moment. I mean, other than O'Brien and Bashir suggesting the union and then talking about O'Brien's great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah. Why are they personally invested right here at the moment is the question. And why, again, why is Worf invested? Why would he push anybody? Um, Other than being a, you know, a Klingon and he gets (laughs) easily invited. He he likes joining fights (laughs) as a Klingon. So, um, so obviously we, we never find out why, but I've always tried to like, I like to imagine, obviously. And so here was my thought on the situation. He, here you have O'Brien and Bashir, and they're trying to guess who's going to go in and who's not, right? And then they see Worf. And based upon what they know of Worf and what we know of Worf at the time, we also were supposed to assume that Worf was not going to go in there. Why? Right. We already know that Worf doesn't like Quark. And he doesn't like Ferengi, and he certainly doesn't like Worf, or Quark. So he wasn't going to go in. Two, um, he's a very honor-driven person, and the right. fact that there was a labor dispute over basic rights, essentially, um, it, it would seem dishonorable for him to go in. So right. for him to suddenly go in there, it was like, why? What is going on that you would want to go into Quarks? So right. this was O'Brien and Bashir, more O'Brien, of course, than Bashir, wanting to speak to him about why he went in there, not so much to stop him, but maybe to speak to him about why he went in there and maybe convince him to come out. Right. Why it comes to blows a little bit and pushing and shoving uh, is is the yeah. the weird toss up there. I right. could see O'Brien maybe getting a little too animated in his explanation of the situation to Worf. Right. And maybe he he pushes him a little bit or leans on him or does something, and right. Worf doesn't like to be touched. Right. And all of a sudden now you've done touched this angry disgruntled Klingon. Right. Who pushes you back. And because he's stronger than the rest of you, his push is going to kind of send you flying. Right. Right. Um, And as for the reason that Worf went in there, I've always assumed that he did it because, not because he likes quirks or anything like that, but as he's established in multiple episodes that we've seen so far, he's a creature of habit. So even though he doesn't like quirks, he has a routine of going to quirks for food or for drink or whatever it is right so he's he doesn't think of it as hurting anything he's just carrying out his daily schedule yeah yeah that, that might make sense yeah and so that's yeah. why i always took it as and then he doesn't want to explain that to these two humans who walk in who probably in his opinion couldn't possibly understand why a klingon needs to speak stick to a routine or why he has a routine in the per- first place. And the whole episode has been about everybody telling Worf to adapt to new situations and him saying, I basically <laughs> to everybody, screw you. I don't want to adapt to your stupid situation. I want to go walk around in my come. PJs and with open pizza boxes. I, that's right. I want to, <laughs> I want to eat ice cream and let it drip down my wife beater and look like a slob. Like that's, yeah. that's what his, yeah. and I, I, that's what I took it as. And this once again, here's these people trying to confront him to change and him just being tired right. of people telling him to change. And then O'Brien doing the whole tap right. him in the chest. Hey, listen here, buddy. You're going to do this thing. And Worf being like, right. uh, big mistake. And then nope. O'Brien or Bashir yeah. gets knocked over a table. Don't right. do not do that. Exactly. Just don't do that. So that's what I always yeah. took that as. And I, 
but it was you're right it is it's very short it's a very brief thing but it, i think that was also supposed to make it a little bit funny they were trying to make right. certain aspects of the episode a bit more uh humorous um even though right. they're dealing with a very serious subject here of the strike which like we're right. dealing with now with the writers um right. and their strike right so have you followed along with Segway. the sag after strike at all yes i tried not yeah yeah <laughs> um i've I haven't been following it too closely, but I have heard a little bit about it. Um, I was listening to something about it, and I was listening to something pointing, uh, listening to someone pointing out that writers are at the bottom of the totem pole in Hollywood, so it does make sense that they're the ones who would complain the most about how things go. The other thing I was hearing, and this I thought about you when I heard this, is shows are shorter than they used to be which means that writers aren't writing as much or as often. And so they're either having, they're ballooning their, their writing staff up to like make up for it, but that doesn't really solve the problem. It actually bloats the budget of whatever they're doing. Yeah. It also means they all get paid less. Um, and uh, it just, it just causes issues. And like Netflix drops all of their episodes in one go with their shows. They, were you know buying up old shows to like you know that was their streaming the streaming services have really messed with the system um really have messed up how hollywood works and the you know the pandemic as well and the ramifications of that are now moving forward to where we are today um now the specifics of what's going on i don't know i again i find it really oh, interesting well, allow me to well i'll just say know. this <laughs> I, I just i just find it really interesting that like all of the big corporations have a you know, agreement with one guild. Like, there's not multiple writers guilds, and they like when you go to work for ABC, you have this union that represents you when you work at the, at ABC. But when you go to NBC, they have another one. No, it's all the same. Which, okay, maybe someone can explain that to me. I'm sure there's a reason for it. But I find it strange that there's no, you know, breakdown. That it's all one big conglomerate. Well, so, I actually heard the opposite. I heard that there are. There are little groups, right? But then each group has like it's almost like a well a, a a pyramid or one of those weird word diagrams, right? Where you have these two main ones, and right. then you've got all these little branches that come out that do With chapters or something, locations. yeah. Right, you know, and you you work in this region, so you're a part of this union, and they answer this group who's a part of this union, who's a part of this group, who all links in the chain that go back to SAG AFTRA. And SAG right. after is the big whatever. Right. So you're right. Part of the strike, and this was the one that started back in 2007, was the fact that you had, at first, you had really small writing teams who were putting out massive amounts of product. And we, that's when we had, we still had the um, 22, 24, 26 episode structure for a season, right? Right. But you would have like this really small group of maybe like three to five writers who were responsible for all those episodes and having to get them out in a certain time so that the actors had time to learn it and practice it and film it and shoot it and all and all that stuff, right? And it was a lot of work for, even then, little pay. So they were wanting to right. have some kind of, you know, a better compensation. And what kind of came born out of that right. was, I believe that they did achieve a, uh, basically a salary increase, but then they were like, we're going to break this up, though, and to make it to where you're not working so much, we're going to do 
um, fewer episodes. So it seemed like a win for them. You're not going to have to work nearly as hard, and you're going to get paid more. But then what came out of that was them doing like what you said, which was, we still need a lot of these scripts, so we, instead of hiring a team of five, we're going to hire a team of 25. Right. And now we can also redistribute the pay a bit and right. make certain people, we're going to pay you less, and we can right. still get all this work out of the whole group. Right. And so now you were running into some more, you started to see more and more issues arising, and people were signing onto these contracts, not realizing that the contracts also excluded them from being able to, like, work with other groups, write with other groups, and, and whatever else. Right. Then the newest issues became, um, it's all about residuals, mm -hmm. which is, you know, um, residuals became more important as we got into streaming. Yes. And how you had access to shows. Right. And what you were finding were people who had filmed things 20, 30 years ago, where now the the show that they were on all that time ago was now seeing new life and new right. circul circulation thanks to uh, streaming and right. new popularity, which right. meant that the value of the product they produced back then was going up. But yeah. they were not seeing any cut of that new generated revenue right and so they were like well that's not fair that's still right. my work i still perform that Just right it's not on tv as a, as a regularly scheduled program anymore yeah. doesn't mean that i shouldn't get a cut of that and some people right. said no it's ours we own this property those big companies that you were talking about they were saying no right. we own this now we can use it in perpetuity however we want and they're like well th again that's not fair and right. then there was also the people who, for every big name that you can think of, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine, whomever, you know, all these people that you can name, there were a lot of other actors who were recurring characters. Okay. And, and they would be recurring characters in a lot of other shows, and they were receiving nothing. So they, they had already been paid very little to begin with. Now they were right. still receiving nothing, and then the studios were arguing that because you showed up and you worked for us for one day, three days, whatever it is, we paid you the one time for your work, but now right. we own that work and we can right. put that work in anything we want. So like background people and extras and stuff like that were being recycled for movies, for TV shows, for commercials, for just, just about right. anything they wanted. And these people were not getting paid. Being compensated. So, huh? I haven't yeah. heard all about that necessarily. I had heard yeah. about the problems of like your likeness being used in perpetuity. Like, oh, we're going to de-age mm. you, and so you're, and we're going to use voice AI, and so the actor mm. might be even freaking dead. <laughs> but as far as the audience is concerned, we've CGI'd a, a version of you, and and you know, a million years from now, you're still making movies, even though you've been dead for a million years. Um, wow. So I definitely get that, but the, yeah, the idea that like an extra shot a scene for a show and they're using that extra's likeness on something else or the scene they shot and somehow cutting it into something else, that's actually an interesting right. point. Um, I am sympathetic to the idea of like you got paid to do the thing and if you signed a contract saying they can use that scene in future projects, then that's the contract you signed. So I'm a little – I'm not – I'll, I'll just say this for the moment. I feel like I have a, my opinion of unions is that it's a double-edged sword. Like 
if your employer is such so bad at negotiating a, you, with you about how to compensate you for your you know for you for your job like there's definitely exp, expo, exploitative versions of employers and how they hire people mm-hmm. uh, but then if you're having to pay someone else to go into a room for you to negotiate on your behalf then you've also lost some agency and i feel like part of the problem especially with like this strike is like that's why it's so strange to me is like it's so it's it's the entire business it's not that nbc negotiated bad contracts with their writers it's everyone apparently negotiated the same bad contracts so for me Again, being a capitalist is where I'd be like, well, in capitalism, the idea is that you comp- you compete. And so if one person says, I'll pay my writers this, then they're going to be the ones who get the good writers. And then you know, NBC will have to go to ABC and say, well, I guess we'll have to follow their way of doing things or whatever. And so for me, that's why it's strange. It's like, why are they all in one big fat lump negotiating with all of the companies all at once as opposed to going to, you know, again – to Universal well, going to Paramount and saying this is how we want to do things, and if you don't like it, then we're not going to write for you. Anyway, go ahead. Well, no, I, I I agree to a certain extent with what you're saying, but my I always I always think about the fact that you know, like a lot of things, different companies write different rules, and no one is sharing what's written behind closed doors. And right. you, uh, we hear all the time about people, you know, going out to Hollywood and being taken advantage of, and you think you understand the jargon and the lingo and you know, kind of like with, with like lawyers and stuff, you know, the, the way that law is presented sometimes, it's not always um, super clear. You need right. to have representation to explain certain things to you. And some of these actors, then they go out there, they they either don't know that or they can't afford it or it's some kind of combination of both. So right. by having a union in place that has people who are already paid to work out these things for you to make it fair and accessible for you to right. me makes sense now does that mean that they're above reproach and corruption themselves absolutely right. not we know people right, right. all exactly. find ways yeah. to do whatever exactly but at the same time that to me that's the double-edged sword part because you can yes. sign up with somebody saying oh i'm such a great union and i'm part of this particular guild and we answer to these people and we do all this stuff but really what they're doing is trying to get you to sign a contract with them so that they can they themselves can screw you over. Yeah, they and get they paid you, off of your right. wages, and then right. they have an they incentive don't... to threaten right. to, you know, to 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 you know go on strike. Ah, oh, we're gonna we like that's my concern is like unions part of the double edged sword bit is like if mm-hmm. they ask for too much, you know, we're gonna go on strike if you don't give us what we want. Like, let's say Quark was legitimately like, I can't pay you guys, but two thirds of what I was paying you before. Like, we're in a bad slump. Either people got to be fired or we got to go with lower wages. That's the only thing I can offer right now. And then for the union to turn around and say, not only are you going to pay us more, but you're going to give us sick leave and yada, yada, yada. Let's say that Quark was legitimately like, I can't do that. Um, my, my problem, the double-edged sword is like, well, if the union has you know expectations that are too high, which I think was also part of the critique I heard about this whole situation is like the newer, younger writers like their expectations for what they should be getting is too high whereas the old the old timers who've been been through this before they have legitimate complaints but they've you know at least been around the block once or twice and so Um, and so both issues are being conflated is what you're saying so you have older more established writers with legitimate concerns that are being you know being mixed in with this newer younger generation whose concerns are not as i want to say not as important but maybe are a bit 
bit too specific, perhaps. Like they're talking about their yeah. own personal problem versus the for something that could be done for the group. Yeah, I guess what I would what I'm what I'm getting at is that a union serves a purpose. You know, a group of people, employees, they get together saying, in order for us to agree to work for you, we want these terms. And we negotiate that as a group because as a group we have leverage. If you're a one person, you don't have as much leverage. You can be fired. If it's just you, they can rely on everyone else, etc. But my point is, is that if the if the blob of employees is is irresponsible in their requests or demands, you know, which they're asking for too much, or if the union leaders are corrupt, as you just insinuated, it's possible. You know, if the union leaders are not acting in good faith then they can screw up and screw it up as well. And so part of me wants to go to all the big studios and be like, say like, we will make a, a, a union. We will have a union specific for us here at Paramount. We are going to have these rules. We're going to pay you this way. This is how we're going to do things. Forget universal, forget Warner brothers, forget Disney. They can do their own thing. This is how we're going to do it. And then they could, start making movies again and let Disney's, you know, stumble along until they figure something out, that kind of thing. Um, but so that's want, why it's so... I do want to clarify real... I do want to yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I, I am not saying that anybody involved in any of these unions is corrupt. I have absolutely no evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's part of the double-edged sword nature of the situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, but... Yeah. Um, just wanted to make that button now. And also to say that according to what we're seeing here, the, that big group there, SAG After, is probably one of the more, if not the most reputable group of unionized artisans, workers in the film industry that's out there. So if you are a member of that, apparently that's like kind of our gold standard there. I know that they there's been the whole workups about the membership and uh, the unity of that group in particular and how they've advocated for so many very positive uh, things for um, actors of all levels. So right. if there is a group that you want to be a part of, this would be the group. Right. Um, I do. I agree with what you're saying there. Also, you know, there there is a a component where what's being asked for there does seem to be a split between generations, right? So right. they're the older, more established writers. They are more concerned with residuals and also work in the future because that's where the whole component about ai comes in whereas right. they want oh that's you know, also part ai yeah, should be right ai should be a, a tool not a a tool to be utilized for sure but not something that uh, yeah. is used in any way as a replacement for the work that they do yeah i it was, um, it was script writing i was hearing about like scripts yes. ai writing yes. scripts AIs, but, and, but then part of that is the ai's having to learn how to write a script and what are they right. using as the tool to train the ai all the scripts these older guys, these older wrote. groups of writers yes. wrote years and years and years ago, and they're yeah. not getting paid for off the of use the, of those. Yeah, you're training yeah. my that computer off of my work. What are you doing here? Yes. Yeah, right. So you yeah. know, like, uh, you know, you you love Christopher Nolan, and I and I don't know if Christopher Nolan is as a writer, but I'm assuming he, he writes does write a lot. a lot of his films. Okay. He's actually so yeah. Then let's so yeah. let's say that somebody said I want to do a Christopher Nolan film, but I don't want to pay Christopher Nolan to do right. a Christopher Nolan film. But I've got this clever little AI that I paid eight bucks to have developed, <laughs> and I can train it to read all of Christopher Nolan's scripts and then analyze the scripts and present me with a original Christopher yeah. Nolan movie. And I'm yeah. going to shoot it and film it, and it only costs me 
you know, ten dollars, eight dollars right. for the program, and two dollars for the cup of coffee I drink while I sat there and watched <laughs> this thing do the work. You know, that's that's kind yeah. of the fear. You yes. know, and then yes. there's another component to this which I'm not really familiar with. I, I I looked this up trying to get a better understanding of what it was, and I still don't think I came away with a great um, explanation. It's uh, something called um, uh, self taping. And it's basically the practice of, like, say they want um, Selma Hayek to uh, read for a part, right? Right. They make – they would then make her – like, they would send her the script and everything, but then they would uh, they would make her, you know, set up to learn the lines, practice, rehearse, and do all this stuff, and then film herself doing it. Right. And then she sends it back, and it's kind of like a – in a sense, it's like an audition. Yeah, but the thing is, if they don't select her to um, do the part, have that part, they still own that tape, and they ah. now have a breakdown of Selma Hayek doing this particular role. Be sure so you get now, all the angles of your face while you do that. Right, <laughs> turn to the left, turn to the right. Can you yeah. look up a little bit? Cough. You know? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> right. They can have her doing all of these things as a part of the audition for the right. role, but now they have her. They have her image. They have her yeah. with this stuff. So, again, that's where AI comes in, using her likeness for all these things. And then if they decide that they want to use portions of this for something, if they want to put it in something or whatever it is, they can do that because they right. own that. Right. And they can use it, like you said, or, you know, like we said earlier, in, you know, they can use it for whatever they want for however long they want. Right. And not only was she not even paid for that part of the audition, but she's not right. – getting any of the payment from whatever use that is later on. So now you have these corporate, these, man, they are corporations, these movie, you know, production companies that, you know, they've got these guys making, you know, uh, someone was in the news recently makes $27 million annually. And that's just his, that's just his annual take home, not to say anything of any kind of bonuses or gifts or packaging or whatever else that he gets in addition to that. Right. And uh, that that's all tied into all that. So he, they're making all that money. And then all these people who obviously contributed to that project are getting nothing or right. next to nothing. <laughs> so that's why there's this whole thing about the strike. So uh, before I say my answer, where do you stand on the strike? Do you think this is overall a good idea? Do you feel like eh, maybe we need to see some more before we can decide if it's good or bad? Or do you just feel like it's a bad idea and they need to like suck it up? Um, I I would say that I, as I've said before, I feel like unions are a double-edged sword. They are, they have a, if we go through history, we know why they exist. We know why they've existed in the past, why they were necessary, mm -hmm. that there were really exploitative uh, businesses in the past and unions were, were necessary. But we also know there have been violence associated with unions, both within the unions, uh, you know, they're like threatening people who would, you know, union busting, you know, people, the, the, the union would go on strike. And so the employers would go find other people to work the job and the, and the unions would then go, you know, beat up the people that are working the jobs. And so that's history. Specifically in this example, as we've just described it, there are a lot of things to work out. The AI stuff in particular is a great example of like, if they're just getting ahead of the game, they're like, we realize our jobs are in danger and we need to find a way to protect ourselves. Super smart. The fact that it's taken them this long and that it's gotten to this point where now the, even the actors are also striking, I find is very interesting. I feel like um, 
like the 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 production companies should be getting on there somehow. They got to find a solution. But that's always why I wonder: are the are the unions or the guilds are they are they being a little too demanding? Is there something that they are asking for that the like? Let me put it this way: is the movie business changed to a point with streaming and everything else that? we can't go back, you know, is this, is this, you know, we've reached yeah. some point of no return. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm curious to I, see what happens for sure. Yeah, this I, is I, our I chance. You and me need to go to Hollywood yeah, finally and take I, care of this. <laughs> you know what? I would love, I, w- I really would love to go and just like, just be out there and like talk to people and see, you know, what their, what their takeaway is on a lot of this. Um, right. When you, what you were just saying about how much the movie industry has changed, I still will remember that breakdown that, um, Matt Damon gave about how movies are made now and how there's a reason that that we kind of see this regurgitation of films like MI seven and eight that were on versus a new film that's coming out, you know, and um, if you, if anybody who's, if you're listening, if you're interested, you should definitely um, Google it. I believe it's on that show. Um, hot ones or hot takes. It's the show where they eat the hot wings that are getting increasingly hotter. Yeah, yeah, and he great gives show. a breakdown. That's, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It really is a great show. Like it's 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 really interesting to to go back and watch like early episodes of that show, and then like like just pick like three, like three of the earliest episodes that you can find. Watch them, and then like skip all the way to maybe like the most recent one. Yeah, the differences between the show, the is quality. Amazing. Yeah, but it's still yeah. it's still a good show. But just yeah. like just visually look at it, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I love the Gordon um, Ramsay one for the record. He's hilarious. <laughs> but keep going. Keep the talking. Gordon Ramsay one, the Shaq one, uh, the Matt Damon one, and the Idris Elba one are. I think Jennifer Lawrence just did one like that's the most recent one, and she like. I'm not saying she's crying like she like has an emotional like ah weeping. I'm talking about like she's just ah. <laughs> The, the, like... Scarlett, the Scarlett Johansson one is an interesting one because she's yeah. like unfazed. Like, oh, I haven't seen that you... one, huh? I was like, are you back. human? Are you yeah. sure that you're okay? Because yeah. you just didn't blink. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Uh, apparently she can just she can just handle it. She just yeah. she, she soldiered right through, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Matt Damon, he basically just says that, you know, there was a time when, you know, the movie industry, the companies would make They'd make a certain number of films, and these films are expected to gross a certain amount of money. And because they did, that would give the, the studio the ability to make uh, a, like a, a movie that would normally be considered like an independent film, you know, right. or a one-off film or whatever. Right. So they weren't really necessarily banking on, or depending on that money to make bank, but it would allow actors and writers and directors and whatever else to keep money coming in for one thing. Right. Um, while these other projects kind of were in development and take off. But then right. over the course of time, uh, because of, in particular, streaming and the way that we have access to movies and whatever else, the people stopped going to movie theaters. So the revenue for movies dropped. And right. then how movies were viewed through streaming platforms and they didn't get paid the same amount. Right. So now a movie that needed to make maybe... 200 million only made 80 million but right. then once you take it to the long term effect of streaming said movie it right. now has actually grossed over time 300 right. million right. but during that long awaited time span all these other movies that should have been made weren't because there right. was no money right so that's why there's also this we need to have some kind of metric for how we measure things in in streaming Hulu, right. Amazon, Netflix, whatever, because those metrics would help them to establish 
the actual revenue being generated by the film and it would right. allow them to make certain things again which we just we just don't anymore so uh but yeah go watch that he gives a he gives a very excellent succinct breakdown of that and um it, it's interesting to listen to especially right. while he's trying to like not pretend to choke on hot sauce yes but yeah um, yeah i've seen a clip me, of that i've seen at least a clip of that yeah, yeah. But for me, when it comes to the idea, like I, I like the idea of unions. I like the idea of everybody having fair representation, no matter what job it is, not just with actors, but just in anything. I right. feel like, you know, in almost every industry, you can find people who are always scheming for ways to exploit others, kind of right. like what we see here in this episode, you know. Right. But it does require people to kind of stand up and take notice and say, hey, this isn't fair. And and let it be a legitimate thing to not be fair. Like Rom passing out because of a simple infection that could have been life threatening, that also could have been treated in thirty minutes or less. That is absolutely unexcusable. There is no reason that he should not have been able to walk across the way and get medical treatment. Right. At the same time, and this happened today before I watched the episode. I watched a video of a young woman who was crying. She was outraged because she either either she had interviewed for a job or had recently been let go of from a job where she called it time blindness. And it took watching the video to understand what time blindness was. And it's basically an inability to be on time for work. So she was habitually late. Yeah. That was her thing. If her if the job started at nine, she was getting there at like nine fifteen, nine thirty. Like extreme time blindness, as she called it. First of all, time blindness is not a thing. You're just you're lazy. You know yes. what time the job starts. Yeah. Yes, things happen, you know, there's the occasional traffic or you woke up late or whatever it is, but come on. Yeah. If you can't get to work by the time the job starts, then you don't need to take that job at all. Go right. find another job. Now nine. most jobs, yeah. Now most companies, at least that I've experienced lately, anyway, they all tend to have like a window. Like, let's say your job started at eight thirty, but you clocked in at eight thirty three. Right. Right. No one's no one's coming after you for eight thirty three. Right. No one. Right. Now, if your job starts at eight thirty and you clocked in at eight fifty, yeah, someone's coming for you. Someone's going to yeah. say something to you. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but that's what she was talking about. She was like, I can't believe, like, how can they treat people this way? You know, time blindness is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've known time blindness since the beginning of ever. It's called late. Yeah. You're, it's called lazy. Don't try and change the name yeah. and excuse yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're trying to give yourself a built-in excuse for why you can't be on time. No. I bet you you're on time to clock out at the end of the day. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you never miss your 5 p.m. punch out. Right. You know, you're never you were never just so engrossed with your work that you stayed until six o'clock. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, that would be one of those non legitimate uh reasons for striking or being anti work or whatever it is that I would not agree with. But on the whole, it seems like at least with this strike and this union, the things that they're asking for to me seem to make sense. Everybody wants to be paid fairly for the work they do no one wants to feel like the ai has come to replace them right um no one wants to work a lot and then be paid very little or not paid at all right and i also feel like yeah if you worked on a project like star trek for example 
and uh, you know the show goes off the air, and then twenty years later, there's a massive resurgence in interest, and they they're re-releasing the episodes, and everybody's talking about it and doing all the stuff, whatever else. I believe that you, as the actor who brought that character to life, you have a right to some of that. I'm not saying necessarily all of it, but right. yeah, you have a you have a right to to some of that. So I feel like this is. Um, um, it's in the, going in the right direction, I guess. I just hope that, um, in my heart of hearts, I hope they bring back the twenty-four episode season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we need that. We need those. We need those. Yeah. <laughs> so I again, I I'll just say it real quick. I I do feel like there is an argument behind if I write a contract saying I'm going to give you, let's say, a million dollars, but that's it for this. Cause I don't know how well it's going to do. Let's say it does well. Mm. turns out the show blows up. It does 300 million. You only got paid a million. Now you're mad. You didn't get all the money, but that's where like the big, the big stars are negotiating for the back end. They're like, you don't pay me up front, pay me on the back end kind of stuff. So but I they, feel like they know that, but they know that because right. they, like you said, they're the big stars. They've been in the business <laughs> for a long time. Right. And right. they've also benefited from the many, many changes. Like, I mean, this is not the first writer's strike. Right. This is not even the, the second writer's strike. This is actually like the fourth or fifth writer's strike. There was actually a really big one back in the 60s, which kind of established a lot of things that right. helped make people like, again, right. you know, Tom Cruise, Kevin Spacey, uh, uh, all of them. Made these, they made these people very famous, very rich, and gave them the ability to renegotiate their contracts. And a lot of that stuff right. is changing and making it harder for actors to be able to do that. So, and and again, like we said, there are so many up and coming actors who just don't know these things and they do depend on the unions to kind of step in and be like, hey, before you sign that contract, did you read this line? That's what this means. That's what they're trying to get you. So are you okay with that? And then at at that point, if the person's like, oh yeah, sure, I'm fine. I don't care. I will never, that's never going to bother me. You can use it, whatever. Okay, fine. Well, for me, that's another example of like, do how often are individuals allowed to read the contract in the sense of how you just described yeah. it of like is there a line here that the union points out and go hey eh? or how much it is the union says this is how contracts are written if you want to be right. represented by us this is how it's always going to be and therefore if yeah. the union again is asking for too much and the and the production companies are like we're not going to do that anyway long story there's short lot, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of complicated know. issues yeah there's a lot that we don't know on the outside we're kind yeah. of having to assume a lot of these things on blind faith. And right. like I said, you know, the SAC after group seems to be one of the more reputable, one of the more honorable groups. So to me with them being, you know, the ones leading the charge on this, because they are like, Hey, this is unfair. This right. is wrong. These people need to have proper representation. They need to have proper access. They need to be properly compensated. Right. I guess that's why I'm more in line with them. Mm-hmm. Then if it was just some randos being like, I just want more money. Like I'd be like, well, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, I guess that's my main thing is that I feel like they've made a good case for why they should have what they are asking for. Right. Yeah. So far. So yeah. I, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they have something to negotiate over and, and, and even strike over. Um, I'm curious to see how it'll come out. So it'll it'll be fun. I mean, it's been on for what has it been two months already? How yeah, it been? it's been quite a while. They haven't quite got to the hundred day mark like they did in two thousand seven, but it's looking like they're going to approach it. This it seems yeah. to be that 
the while we've we've talked about SAG a lot, we haven't talked about the basically the opposition, which is be all the production companies and the corporations and so forth. And it right. seems like they're just really kind of waiting on people to get tired of the strike. Their right. their method seems to be we're not going to give an inch. We're just going to wait for you guys to start Great shout. Yeah. Losing, losing your homes. You know, the yeah. moment that you you can't afford your mortgage, you can't afford your rent, you can't afford your car payment. Uh, eventually that will force you back to work and then, right. you know, we'll be in an even greater position to drive you down because you will really need the money. Right. So, yeah. uh, that's, that's... A, a really crappy way to negotiate, but yeah, it's yeah, that's exactly why I'm effective. like, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, so we will yeah. see who holds out, who, who wins this for us, if it gotcha. will truly be, uh, the big corporation or if the, the guys that sag after it. Gotcha. Hold, hold on. All right. Perry, I know we are super late now, but I have to say oh, before yeah. we go, this episode, Bar Association, was the last episode of the first half of Deep Space Nine. Starting wow. next week, we will be on the second half of all of the we episodes. We will be on the downward slope. Yes. The beginning of the end. Yep. Oh, so no. We have to do some sort of ah. recap, I feel like, after dark next well, time, just to like drag it actually, out a little extra. <laughs> actually, what we're going to do, because we... we we're just we're there we're getting close anyway i've we've talked about the hundredth episode you know um uh, we're just going to do the the hundredth as a giant after dark we're going to just kind of go all out with that being our hundredth episode gotcha. and and all of that so just be prepared for that yeah this episode is really long i hope you guys forgive us <laughs> we just gave you a lot of extra stuff all in one go good so content there good you content. go yes um so for those of you who have like an extra long car ride or you you know you truckers who listen to us as you go across the country Right. Here you go. Here is something that you can really just kind of <laughs> tune in with. And if you agree with anything that we said, if you know more about the writer strike, any of that stuff, please feel free to like. Yeah. Oh, I'd be very I curious. I would love to yeah. be uh, properly, you know, educated, filled in, whatever about this. So yeah, um, just you know, give us a comment. Again, keep your stuff polite and and clean. I have a daughter who loves to, you know, read stuff over my shoulder. So please don't send me anything shocking. Uh, I'd, I'd appreciate that. So, uh, you've asked for it now. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I guess that's going to be it for us for now. Um, I don't have any other stuff. We've got all the other new Trek stuff out of the way. Um, you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to uh, podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.